Hello friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello friends are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is a message I shared at Timothy Lutheran Church on Sunday, October 29th, 2023. Being the last Sunday in October, that's the Sunday we always set aside for Reformation. This is a message on Reformation from Romans chapter Hello friends. In the 2002 movie, Catch Me If You Can, leading character Frank Abagnale Jr., played by Leonardo DiCaprio, impersonates many people. First, he impersonates a Pan Am pilot. Then he's a medical doctor. And then after falling in love with a hospital worker, he pretends that he's an attorney. And he also pretends that he's a Luther. He seems to have reached a point where he believes his own story. But the FBI is starting to catch up with him, and they catch up with him at his engagement party. And Frank confesses to his future bride, I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school or even Harvard, and I'm not a Lutheran. She, she tries to respond through her tears and finally says, Frank, Frank, you're not a Lutheran? <laughs> For her and possibly her family, being a Lutheran was probably the most important part of his made-up identity. Because if he wasn't a Luther, the chances of marrying Brenda were... Not very good. I'm sure some of you can relate going home and telling your parents that you were or were not going to marry a Lutheran. And if they weren't a Lutheran, your parents would ask, when are they taking classes to become a Lutheran, right? What does it mean to us? What does it mean to us to be Lutheran? Why do we hold on to the distinction of being a Lutheran so firmly. Today is Reformation Day, the day that we remember Martin Luther and beginning the Reformation of the church 500 years ago. What is Reformation really about? Is it mainly a, the celebration of a, a historical or cultural heritage? Or is there more to it? We'll begin to answer these questions with what might sound like a very un-Lutheran and frankly, a very unchristian idea, but it's crept, crept into our faith more than we care to admit it. Righteous works are necessary for salvation. Righteous works are necessary for salvation. 
That's what the church taught at the time of Martin Luther around the year 1500. But has it gone away? Because many pe people still think they have to do, 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 right, for your salvation. If I check this box, I'm good to go. And really that's how we live our lives outside of our faith, isn't it? You earn a certain grade, you pass the class. You pass enough classes, you graduate. You grow up, you become an adult, you get a job, right? You work hard at your job. You get raises, you get promotions. During the time that you work, you save enough money and you get to retire. You get rewarded for the things that you do. Luther had been taught that God will only love you if you keep all of his commandments. All of them. It doesn't make for a very good relationship, even between parents and children. I will love you if. I will love you if you do what I tell you to do. I know my kids wouldn't respond to that very well. Most kids don't respond to conditional love, and we as God's children certainly would not respond well to conditional love. Some try to earn the conditional love of their parents, and Martin Luther, he tried. He tried hard to meet God's demands because he feared eternal punishment. God's judgment day is indeed not an invention during medieval times of Martin Luther, but it's clearly taught in Scripture, and we confess it in our creeds. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. Now, being a good Catholic monk, Martin Luther tried. Man, he tried. But the more Luther tried, the more he despaired. The more he tried, the more he became convicted that he was unable to gain his salvation. He read that the demands of the law with eyes not on Christ, but on himself. You must do this, this, and this, right? In the Ten Commandments. And don't do this, and this, and this. Can you imagine the burden? And that's probably where Lutheran guilt was invented, right there, wasn't it? Of trying to keep all those demands and commandments. Luther and many other Christians at this time looked not only at their outward righteousness, but also into their heart. Martin Luther once spent six hours in confession, only returned back to the confession booth after he took a few steps towards the church doors because he felt that he had sinned again. Luther came to hate the phrase, the righteousness of God in the New Testament, because the church at that time taught righteousness meant judgment. To him it meant the righteousness of God demands of him. And Luther wasn't able to not even come close to the demands of God. He felt like a convicted criminal in court without a defense lawyer. And Luther was not alone. Fulfilling the demands of God permeated to every corner of people's lives in Wittenberg, Germany. That was evident on November 1st, 1517, when the Wittenbergers lined up outside the castle church to pay for the opportunity to venerate Duke Frederick's collection of over 17,000 church relics. Now, venerate means to show respect and honor to an icon or a relic with a ritual act of devotion. I was thinking about that definition, and that's really what we did many times back in January when I was in Jerusalem at the Holy Land. 
But our veneration was much different than the Wittenbergers in 1500. The belief was that proper veneration, looking at those relics, could earn you up to two million years off your time in purgatory. Now, I've talked to heard about purgatory, but I had no idea it was going to be over several million years there. Going to Jerusalem gained me nothing as a Christian. Now, if you remember your history, something happens the night before the veneration of the church relics by Duke Frederick. The relics would be displayed at the very same church that the now famous door that held had the 95 theses nailed to it. And that's exactly what happened on October 31st, 1517. Luther knew that was what was going to be happening the next day. And when the church workers showed up to set up the display of relics, the opposition was nailed to the door. Righteousness and what it meant according to God's word was at the center of Martin Luther posting his 95 theses. The church was not getting it right. And today, I'm afraid to say, some still don't get it correct. Our righteousness is because of our faith. It does not gain us anything. It's something as Christians we want to do, not something that we have to do. Righteousness is our obedience to God's commands. And Luther lists three things that proper righteousness entails. Good works, love towards your neighbor, and the fear of God. Now, if it was just our righteous works, we as sinners, our case would be hopeless. We show righteousness because of our faith. Faith that centers on the righteousness of Christ. If Christ wasn't, isn't perfectly righteous for us, our righteousness does not matter. But we still get confused over what righteousness is and what it is not. We sometimes almost convince ourselves of our own, our own righteousness. We assume that if, God ta- if we take God's rules and our faith seriously, we can surely pass the muster. Or as Frank Abagnale Jr. convinced himself, putting on a pilot's uniform made him a pilot. You see, we can don an air of outward righteousness, believing more and more that's what we are. If I believe it, then it's true. We can also use the old trick, if we can't measure up, then change the measure, right? We assume the rules are there to be bent, as in other aspects of our society. We bend the rules when it comes to calorie counting, especially when Christmas is coming up, right? We bend the rules with traffic laws. Well, it says 55, but I can drive about 64 and not get caught, right? Labor regulations, financial markets, politics, Take, for example, the traffic cameras here on Broadway in Council Bluffs, Iowa. When I first moved to Council Bluffs, they told me about these cameras, and as soon as it turned yellow, man, I slammed my brakes on, I stopped, right? I was even anticipating they might turn from green to yellow, and I was ready to stop before they even turned yellow. Well, I know now, after living in Council Bluffs for two years, if you get into the intersection when the light's yellow, you won't get a ticket from the camera. Why? Because when you do get a ticket, they send you a link to the video, and you can watch it. And guess what? It shows you behind the sidewalk or that white line when the the light turns red. 
I went from following and even fearing the law to seeing how far I can push it until I get caught. There's a limit, and there's, then there's the limit we adopt as the limit. We can also follow the world outright, adopting God's rules to the lifestyle society and culture tells us to live instead of the other way around. The way that we live our lives and act should look the same inside church as it does outside the church. We run with that until the prosecutor catches up with us, just like they did with Frank Abagnale Jr. in the movie Catch Me If You Can. We can pretend, we can use tricks and justify it all, but in the end, there's probably going to be a day when it catches up with you. Listen to what Paul said about excuses from Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on, on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. None of these options are an excuse for going against God's Word, or what God's Word teaches us as Christians. Because we don't have to have an excuse, because there is forgiveness every time that we mess up and we sin. Instead, we look to an excuse instead of God's word and repenting of our sins and receiving forgiveness. God's word stops every mouth and excuse and sin that comes from our words. Paul wrote for us today in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Then Paul goes on to write, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every time I read those words, I'm convicted. Stops me dead in my tracks, especially when I think I'm doing pretty good, right? Or somebody pats you on the back and say, man, you're doing a really good job. It doesn't matter what I've done or what I will do. I'm a sinner and I fall short every time. It doesn't matter how good or how bad. Think of a judge cutting short the futile attempt of a culprit to present himself as innocent. That's what we do when we try to justify ourselves and our righteous deeds before God. Hey, at least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Certainly I'm good with God. At worst... I'm still better than that person who sins more than me or even worse than me. No. Because if we're comparing ourselves to others, we all fall short. It doesn't matter who the person is. That applied to Martin Luther. It applied to Mother Teresa. It applied to Peter. It applied to John. It applied to Mary Magdalene. And any other person you want to name. For righteous works can only come from a sinless person. Let's go back and see what Paul wrote after he told us we have all, fall, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He continues, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Grace cannot be earned. It must be given by God. God has shown his grace to us over and over and over again. He showed it to us in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, from Adam and Eve to the revelation that he showed to John. And his grace has not stopped. We are given God's grace over and over and over and over again. Even though we don't deserve it. And we certainly cannot earn it. Christ gave his life to set all people free when he died on the cross. We receive the mercy promised in him by faith. And it's set against God's wrath and judgment. God took what we deserved and removed it only by his grace. I need to go back to the word propitiation. Propitiation is the word that we all need to make sure that we're clear on what it means. Propitiation means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. Averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. It refers to the turning away from the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, propitiation goes back to the Old Testament, too. It took place when the high priest would sprinkle blood, blood of the sacrifices on the Ark of the Covenant, on the cover of it. In the Old Testament, God forgave sin when the high priest sprinkled or covered the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, with the blood of appropriate sacrifices. Now, underneath that cover of the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were placed underneath the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, and so the blood of the sacrifice would cover them. As the propitiation, the blood of the sacrifice, covered the Ark of the Covenant, Christ's righteousness covers the sinner. He is the sacrifice for our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is the propitiation that covers our sin. That means that Christ alone Christ alone is our righteousness. And in fulfilling the law and perfect love, Christ has also shown that God is just. Christ upholds the law by fulfilling it, and he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly for us. Because of Christ's work, the church, the church stands on the work of Christ. In the church alone is where God is found as the justifier of of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, the words of Paul. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. One of the very early church fathers said, outside the church there is no salvation. True salvation can only be found in the words of God shared with the body of Christ. Where true righteousness is preached, the sinner repents and finds the certainty of salvation. Find it in baptism, in the absolution of sins, in the sacrament of communion, in the body and blood of Christ. We are, not, we are saved by nothing but the works righteousness of Christ. He did the work for us, the work that we couldn't do on our own. We could try, but in the end, it all be for naught. You know, towards the end of the movie, 
and catch me if you can. It seems that it was all for naught for Frank Abagnale Jr. He pretended to be somebody he wasn't. He forged checks. He broke laws all over the world. Why did Frank Abagnale do this in the movie? He wanted to impress his dad. He wanted to give back to his father the things that he saw his father lose. He saw his father lose his business, his wealth, and even his wife. And in doing so, he would impress his father by what he had done. Frank Avondale Jr. ends up in jail, sick and broken. His father didn't get back any of the things that he had lost. But that wasn't the end for Frank Abagnale Jr. The FBI needed his help to catch other check forgers. And Frank Abagnale Jr., who was once one of the most wanted criminals of the FBI, was helping them. Frank tried it on his own. He ended up broken down, only to be used again, once again, for good. When the work of Frank Abingdale Jr. was used for good, it helped the FBI's, FBI and others instead of himself. And the same is true about us. We can try it on our own, only to be broken down or at minimum frustrated by our attempts to do it on our own. But we can accept the offer to be used by God instead of working for God in our own salvation. When we do, we go from our will to accepting and following God's will. We are saved by the work of Christ, by the propitiation of his blood. You know, the day that you pass from this life to the next, the day you stand face to face with Jesus, he's not going to ask you, are you Lutheran? I can tell you that right now. He's going to ask you, do you believe? Do you believe that my work alone saves you? That's why we, the Lutheran Church, we proclaim the full weight of the law and the even greater weight of the gospel. It's in our messages. It's in our baptism. It's at the altar. That's what Martin Luther found in the pages of Scripture. Such doctrine and practice mark the identity of the Lutheran Church today. It's our prayer when we celebrate the Reformation Day in the last Sunday of October that the Lord of the Church will keep us steadfast in His faith and our faith. Believing not in our works, but in the work of Christ. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we share in our messages, any questions on faith, any just general questions, get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day.
God bless.